0: with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Kessoneri-King. Today, I'm delighted to have Dan Fiella from Durham, New Hampshire. Welcome, Dan. Hello. Good
1: to be here.
0: Yes. So, um... How did we meet? I think we met through your music, which if people Google your name, that's what's probably going to come up first.
1: Hmm. Yes, I think you, uh, probably at a concert or contra dance.
0: contra dance, yeah.
1: Yeah, it you might know. have been at the Ghost Academy of Music. And um, yeah, I mean, my sister and I play traditional Irish music and uh, continue to, although it looks a lot different during COVID, a lot of yeah. online concerts. Um, but that's, a, yeah. That's something I've been doing for a long time and has always been parallel to painting in my life. But I think it's funny because you also kind of are in both of those parallel worlds.
0: I think we took a a plein air class with Alistair Dacey and I kept saying to my sister because she was in it, I kept saying, that guy looks so familiar. I cannot place it. And on the last day you said I was there listening while Alistair was giving you some points. And you said, I got to, I got to leave early because I got a gig at the Strawberry Bank with my sister. And I said, Oh, you're Dan, File.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. That was a great gig because I got to walk to the gig from. Right. <laughs> or whatever that's called. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so let's go back to, um, I always love to find out people's earliest recollections of anything artistic that you remember, which came first though. I'm interested to know, was it music did you do you have earlier recollections of music or art what stands out
1: uh, goodness that's actually a tough one Yeah, because um, in various forms they were both part of my life from, from the get go I mean doing music all through growing up um, for me I actually tie my interest in art back to I was very into Legos when I was a kid was always up like to, you know, building all sorts of things out of Legos. That was a huge pursuit of mine between the ages of, you know, 6 and 13 or 14. And, and then I would say when I was about 12 or 13, that started to manifest more as like I started to realize that I was interested in the mechanics of putting things together. I was also like really interested in the visual aspects of creating things that looked a certain way kind of thinking of it more sculpturally and and around that time i started to be very interested in uh in like illustrated books so i was very into the illustrator howard Pyle when i was 12 or 13 and i remember going to um the unh library actually and i'd go down in the basement and i would look through old harper's monthly uh, magazines from like the late 1800s early 1900s just searching for every Howard Pyle illustrated story I could find. Wow. Um, and I was just I, for some reason I was obsessed with uh, his his pen and ink illustrations and um, and his paintings as well he's a very good painter and that sort of let's see it shifted from like kind of illustration focused when I was about 14 I remember opening a book of Leonardo da Vinci drawings and paintings Mm -hmm. and just starting like a year long like obsession with Leonardo da Vinci and renaissance and then branching out into renaissance Italian art. And Mm -hmm. I just thought his drawings were like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Um, And it was about when I was 13 or 14 that I was really, I started drawing more seriously. And then when I was, Sixteen, I uh, enrolled in a kind of atelier type program um, and got drawing instruction through that. And that's when I started to think of this more as like this might be something that I'm I might keep on pursuing and right. actually do as an adult um, and do as a career. Now, so, who was
0: the instructor for that program, and what was the medium? Just drawing.
1: Uh, well, it was drawing and painting. So the instructor is Paul Ingridson. I don't know if you've ever okay. actually Alistair's teacher as well. Sure. So. Yeah. Um, that's something that Alistair and I connected over. We didn't study at the same time, uh, with Paul, but, uh, yeah. And that, that was sort of, uh, it was a, an interesting experience to hear Paul's perspective on painting. Cause he has, uh, he's a, he, he teaches kind of like atelier type drawing, um, you know, which you could sort of thing that. You might learn like cast drawing and figure drawing and portrait drawing you might learn in another atelier like the sort of um uh it's a common practice for people to take those sorts of classes now um but then his uh, thinking about color is maybe a bit more impressionistic than some of the other ateliers that i have experience with
0: right and And was that your first uh dip into painting
1: it was yeah. I'd actually never oil painted before I was with Paul. I was I only drew and I did a little watercolor painting. But uh, oil painting kind of became the thing for me and sort of eclipsed drawing. Although now I've I've kind of circled back to drawing because I realized how important it is in planning stages for a painting and also to work out if a part of a section of a painting isn't working. Sometimes I'll I'll stop working on it. I'll make a drawing of whatever the you know object is and that. Part of the painting
0: um so
1: but yeah with Paul it was drawing and
0: painting nice so that was <clears throat> that was in high school and then you said you got more serious did you decide to pursue it in college right from the get-go uh
1: I did so what happened is I I did uh the atelier program through uh the end of high school and at the end of high school I thought well I applied to colleges and then I kind of like at the last minute pulled the plug on the college thing and I thought, you know what, I'm really, uh, you know, I, th- I was getting a lot out of my studies at um, with Paul and I thought, I think I'm going to stick with this for a little while. And so I, I actually stayed there for another few years and then uh, went to college later. And when I was 22, so I was coming into college and everybody my age was coming out of college. Right. Um, which actually didn't feel as weird as I thought it would. I yeah. felt like that was the right time for me. Sure. And uh, so when I was going to college, I knew that I, want, I wanted to be a painter and I wanted to be pursuing painting. So I was uh, in BFA program at UNH. Um, Had some wonderful teachers there. And yeah, so I pursued it in college as well. And, and only actually graduated uh, just a little over a year ago.
0: Right, right. Well, wow, that's wonderful, wonderful journey. So, who other um, teachers that have strongly influenced you?
1: Well, let's see. At UNH, I um, I had uh, Craig Hood was uh, one of my teachers. I don't know if you've ever met him. Yeah. He was in the North area. Um, maybe you can get him on the show at some point. He's a he's a great landscape painter. Um, he and he and I did a summer uh landscape painting project that was funded through the university um mm-hmm. and somebody came into one of the classrooms and was like hey you can apply for this
0: wow
1: thing I was like cool I'm gonna be landscape painting this summer can I do it with Craig Hood and um so we uh he, he was super helpful with that and um I think you know I find his his landscapes and his compositional sense is very interesting to me. Um, his way of handling paint is uh, something that I find very interesting I, it's very different in a lot of ways from the way I do, but I still think it's sort of some of that's filtered through. Um, during college for a year and a little bit before college, I uh, was studio assistant for a uh, children's book illustrator and artist, uh, do you know Tommy DePaola?
0: Oh yeah, wow.
1: Um, that was and he was also kind of a teacher to me, a bit of a mentor. Um and I don't know if you knew but he recently passed away. Um but uh so he yeah, I would say that he was he was uh you know an influential person in my life and um it was amazing seeing him yeah, I can't believe I didn't mention that before when I was talking about going from New Delhi to college. But uh, being inside a professional artist's studio like that was an amazing experience. He was very generous with his time, talking about his life as an artist. And, um, you know, I got to see him, you know, full day every week. I got to see him at work and, um, wow. you know, things, various things in the studio to help out with... Uh, preparing paper for illustrations and, um, you know, washing brushes and mm. just whatever needed doing. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was a wonderful experience as well. Oh, I'm sure. That must
0: have been really fascinating. Yeah. So.
1: Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I do feel like a lot of my influences are dead people. You know, it's kind of hard to yeah. like, it's, it's hard to say that they're my, they are kind of my teachers.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but I feel like I have to give some credit to them in the sense that like, and, and I can't really, I can't even like begin to even name people because there's hundreds of artists that are just like, right. so much art out there. Any trip to a museum, uh, I learned so much. I mean, in a way I would say the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston is probably, you know, one of the most influential mm-hmm. things teachers in my artistic life sure. um, uh, but yeah uh,
0: nothing you can't replace that have they opened yet do you know what?
1: I don't think they have I know the gardener has the, gardeners. the gardener kind of lends itself to uh, social distancing because you can kind of you progress in that circular form up through the whole thing so they can time it and just like let you go and then yeah. 10 minutes later okay we am going to let the next person in and um,
0: yeah. Tell them so, I'm a slow one.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I, I wouldn't want to spend all day there. But, yeah, I think the MFA, that, we'll have them back soon. But
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Some point, I think they're close.
0: So tell us what you're doing now. Um, do you have a studio that um, – you know, do you practice indoors or outdoors? And when – actually, when I know that you plan air paint. So when did you discover plein air painting? Was that with Craig Hood or Paul? Uh, you know, that's a good
1: question. Um, it was a very gradual kind of thing that worked its way into my life. Um, when I was with Paul, I, uh, I just decided one day I want to plein air paint, and I wrote on the whiteboard in the studio, if anybody has any old French easels or pochette boxes that they want to sell me, <laughs> I will buy them. And I had two people, uh, you know, come forward and, you know, give me discount rates on their old uh, plein air painting equipment and so then I started a little bit with Paul painting outside he would do like a once a year thing um, where we we'd go out as a group and sometimes it'd be like you know two or three days and we'd paint out in Gloucester uh, at somebody's house and uh, paint the ocean and uh, I actually I my last year at the studio I organized our plein air event uh, over at Canterbury Shaker Village and that was sort of when I was starting to do it more seriously. I think when I left the studio I realized that I was kind of out in the world now and like the you know painting a still life in a studio or drawing a cast in a studio is a very controlled environment. That was kind of what I knew for a long time and then and then leaving the studio environment and not really having well I guess it was going to UNH, so I had studio space there. Not really having the same framework, I think that's when I realized that um, it was gonna be really important for me to be getting outside and painting. Mm -hmm. And reading, you know, uh, Sergeant Johnson Sergeant talking to his students, he would always encourage them to get outside and paint as much as they could. And of course, that was an important part of his practice as well. so i would say yeah if i you know if i didn't have a studio at all i would be fine with just you know painting outside all the time i've had periods of my life where that's been true
0: yeah.
1: uh, right now I, I do have a studio uh in the house that i live in and uh it's you know it's great to be able to work on larger things indoors and work on studies outside and bring them inside um, but yeah, I think, uh, wait, what was the question? I've,
0: well, I've kept... yeah, we're getting there. So let's go to process. Let's talk about your process and your paint. Do you typically paint outdoors and then bring it in and fix it? Or do you, you know, are you a studio painter or a plein air painter? Or both?
1: Yeah, right, right. How does that's it all
0: different. unfold?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I. that's an interesting question. There's, actually, I'm going to pull out another Sargent quote again. I, okay. There's a lot, a lot of great quotes from him. Um, I think it was Sargent who said uh, somebody a student wrote to him and said I I want to be a portrait painter and Sargent you know gave a response that was essentially like I'm sorry you want to be a a what a portrait painter Uh, and he's like you know you really want to be a painter right like maybe you want to make portraits but like you want to be a good painter and then you want to be able to paint anything really not just portraits Um, so he was encouraging the student to think like you know, don't just think of yourself as a portrait painter. You know, give yourself more credit than that. You're a painter, and you know you can put yourself in a in a category later on if you if you want to. Um, but you know, right now at least, and and maybe forever, you want to think of yourself as somebody who's uh, you know primarily a painter. And I know that's not true for everybody. Obviously, that's Sergeant's opinion. Um, I think, I guess, I don't have a category for myself as like I'm a plein air painter. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a studio painter or a portrait painter or whatever. I've I've done portraits, I've done a lot of plein air work. Um, But I think at least right now, uh, I I think of myself as my my main goal is to be, you know, learning how to make the best pictures I can, whatever that looks like. And what that usually looks like for me is, uh, I mean, I guess on any given day when I'm deciding what I'm gonna do studio practice wise, um, I, I'll either go outside and just like walk around until I find something that speaks to me, something that makes me stop and look twice. And then I wonder, oh, okay, what, what is it about that that made me stop and look twice? Right. And, you know, setting up and painting, just pretty much painting what I'm seeing, or uh, occasionally I'll, you know, set up a still life at home. Before the pandemic, I was doing some portraits Um, and, and, but then usually what it winds up being is either I'm going outside, wandering around and painting what I'm seeing, or I start things off by like doodles in my sketchbook. So, uh, I, I mentioned Howard Pyle earlier on as he was a big early influence. And I think I've never kind of shaken that, um, sort of narrative, uh, um, uh, yeah, like narrative imaginative element uh mm. that i've wanted to have in my work so even though most of my work that winds up uh that i wind up selling is uh, plein air work i do also as well uh things out of my imagination which usually start as a doodle in my sketchbook and then it's like grows and grows into something this eventually <laughs> turns into a painting um yeah, and it, occasionally
0: really lovely i uh, you do some nice um i would definitely call it imaginative and figurative and um yeah it's really nice it's it's elusive the word that comes to my mind is there's this elusiveness to it that's this uh mystery mysterious it's very nice oh
1: thank you yeah well el- elusiveness is a good description of a lot of aspects of painting <laughs> so it's el- that elusive quality that you're looking for
0: <laughs> right um,
1: but yeah, so I'd say that those are kind of two strains in, uh, in my work and my BFA show sort of included both, included stuff that I just, you know, portraits and landscapes that I did uh, from observation and then uh, a series of things based on Irish mythology actually kind of related to the music that I play okay. um, that were all imagined based.
0: Oh nice, and yeah. so do you ever use photos for reference in your work or is it for drawing only? Yeah, well,
1: I'm certainly not opposed to photo reference. You know, some people are like only well, paint from nature, and other people are like, oh no, like photos are great. And um, and I, you know, totally respect both camps. I think there's good arguments. There's true. There's good arguments in both camps, and I mean, sure. there's artists that I, um, you know, follow on Instagram and and that I'm friends with who who do both very well. I think um, for me, I've te- I've I've always sort of practically speaking been in the camp of trying to work from life as much as possible. And I realized that there's, you know, occasionally there's just practical considerations. Like I want to, you know, if I want to have a painting of, uh, for example, a a, a recent painting that I just um, sold, I had a a heron, a great blue heron. There's tons of herons around uh, in the area where I live. And so I've been watching them all summer. I mean, you going outside with the sketchbook and trying to draw them, trying to paint them, and it's hard. You know, they're moving all the time. They're hunting. You know, they've they've got their own livelihood to make, so they they don't have time to, to sit still. Uh, but I think you know a combination of doing those studies and learning kind of like how they move, how they tend to stand, what the gesture usually is of a heron, and then um, in the end, you know, also using some photo reference. But having both of those I think is really important uh, in a situation like that because the photo reference gives you some more um, clear idea of, okay, this is exactly what Heron looked like in a particular situation, Mm -hmm. Um, kind of, although photography doesn't actually show us exactly how we perceive things. It's still filtered through the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also having that combined with your experience of drawing a heron a bunch of times, I think is. Yeah. For me, it's important to have both. I guess for me, I want my paintings as much as possible to reflect an actual experience that I had visually. So when I am working from a photograph, um, I feel a little bit more removed from that than I than I like to be. Um, but you know, photos are immensely practical, and ever since photography has been invented, uh, you know, painters have been using them in various ways. It's more how you use it, I guess,
0: yeah. yeah, sure, so tell tell me about a little bit about your materials, and you know when you say you're out looking for a place, you're carrying all your plein air stuff, so you probably travel pretty light. Tell us what you use, and what's the biggest sizes you paint outdoors Well uh,
1: so my setup has been evolving for a while. Uh, I pretty much only paint in oils, uh, although I've, you know, I've tried watercolor various times, and it's so portable. I've always thought like that would be amazing to be able to paint watercolors more. And I love, um, you know, Winslow Homer's watercolors and John Singer Sargent's watercolors. They're just uh, incredible. And uh, yeah, but anyway, I mean, I usually paint in oils, so there's a particular kind of setup that people will have when they're going outside with that. Uh, my my um, kind of ideal for a plein air painting setup is to have as much as possible inside the box. So some people have like the, is it called Open Box M or Open M Box or something? Yeah, Open M I think. The one where it's basically a palette and then just the, the place for you to put the panel. Okay. Um, and and you know a lot of people use those. For me, I, I like having the drawers on the side. So I have a, a great, uh, it's it, a la prima pochade and, and this is the company that makes these pochade boxes yeah. and so almost everything fits in there even the brushes although I usually carry them separately that all goes in a backpack whole thing weighs i don't know how much it is a little heavy um but i've gotten used to it so i don't really notice it anymore um so i carry that around with a tripod and you know setting up and taking taking things down at this point it's really like a you know, three new, four minute process, which is important for me because a lot of the time when I'm walking around looking for something and something makes me stop, it, you know, nine times out of 10, really, it's some sort of effect of light that makes me stop and look. So uh, if, you know, I usually go out and paint really early in the morning um, when the sun's rising. And at that time of day, this everything's changing very quickly. Clouds are all like you know, exploding and going off in different directions and the sun's bursting out from behind the clouds and, uh, all sorts of stuff is happening, changing really quickly. The colors change, you know, over the course of 10 minutes might change dramatically. So it's important for me to have a setup that I can, um, set up quickly and get going. Um, and similarly, when I'm working outside, because I'm looking at a lot of the time, transitory effects of light, uh, I tend to work fairly small just because if I were working larger, I would have to come back, you know, many times to, mm-hmm. to really develop it. Um, so, I mean, I have been working during the pandemic actually for some reason I've started working in a really broad range of sizes going from like uh, two, 2.5 by 3.5 is like the smallest mm-hmm. that I've been doing. So like kind of minuscule and then scaling up to, I think the largest that I paint outside usually is about twelve by sixteen. That's the largest that my push-on box can can take. Um, although I have gone larger. I mean, I, sometimes I'll carry a canvas out with me and you know, something, you know, ginormous. One time during college, you know, because like you're always in a hurry in college, and like no time to do anything. Mm-hmm. I remember running outside with this huge painting that I was working on for an assignment. And just like I didn't even have an easel, I just had like my paint stuff. And like the sun was setting, just threw the thing on the ground, just like painted it on the ground. Um, that was I don't know, that was like two feet by two feet by three feet. That might have been the largest thing I've ever painted outside.
0: That's so,
1: Yeah, but I I, you know, I love plein air painting and having good equipment is really you know super helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah. What what paints do you use?
1: Oh. Various kinds, but usually RGH. Have you ever used?
0: them? Yeah, I've not used them. I've heard of them.
1: Yeah, I mean it. It, it works well for me. I mean, I, I. I guess I've tried a few different brands. Um, the reason I got those is they were good quality, and you can get a lot of them. You know, you can get like a, you can get a gallon if you needed it, um, and and then you tube it yourself, and. Uh, so that's what I've been doing for, I don't know, four or five years now, is doing my own paint. And, um, yeah, I mean, I tried a Williamsburg paint. Uh, have you you ever tried them?
0: No, I haven't tried that one either.
1: Yeah, just tried them really, like, early in the pandemic, I, I got a set of those, Mm -hmm. um, and they're very, uh, yeah, they're very nice. I mean... I don't think, I, I'm not actually like enough of a connoisseur of like specifics of like, ooh, the handling is just like so perfect with this paint, whatever. I don't know. I'm sure there are great like, you know, distinctions that I could make, but I, I just, I'm yeah. not capable of that. In terms of colors, too, I don't know, if, were you asking more like brand or colors?
0: Oh, well, no, go for colors, too. We'll take it.
1: Yeah. Uh, and in terms of colors, I use, um, if, I mean, it's like a limited palette, I guess you could say, but it's very high chroma, so uh, I have like a very high chroma, warm red, very high chroma, cool red. So like a viridian, uh, sorry, uh, alizarin. And then um, and then viridian for like a cool green. And then um, ultramarine. And then sometimes uh, like a cerulean-ish color. So it might be severs blue or some sort of uh, phthalo
0: mm-hmm.
1: blue. I think uh, severs might be. That some kind of phthalo, and and then you know white and black. Although actually, I usually don't use black because I'm outside, and you know there's just like crazy colors happening in the light all over the place. And black, you know, you can mix your own black, so yeah, I have to do that as well.
0: Yeah.
1: It was, did I miss something? Oh yeah, cad cad lemon. So
0: okay, I was gonna say I thought I missed lemon. I missed it. <laughs> yeah. I thought I missed yellow.
1: <laughs> no, I don't. I have other colors that I, I just rarely use them
0: yeah so why lemon why lemon i want to know
1: well you know to be honest it was paul's palette uh pretty much and have i made any changes to it yeah i don't think i've changed that palette i'll occasionally try other things like RGH will send you like a free tube of some other paint like be like oh like maybe you should try this whatever uh quinacridone something rather um I remember Tommy DePauw was like very into quinacridone colors when he was, uh, oh, really? <laughs> um, but, uh, it's pretty much Paul's palette. And I think he chose the lemon. I think it's because it, it you know, if you're thinking about the spectrum of colors, I mean, you have the, the closest thing is probably the, uh, like you know cadmium red cad scarlet is kind of orangey mm-hmm. so and if you have that's almost kind of tending towards a warm like a super warm yellow if you could think of it um because an orange is kind of a really warm yellow and then so then your yellow then should be kind of pushed again further into the cooler region because you can always just you know mix it in with a little bit of cad scarlet and you get this you know beautiful warm yellow mm-hmm. um, but then if you want to be mixing it in with some greens without totally killing them, um, having it be cool, I think, is helpful for that. Um, also, having them be high chroma <laughs> means that you have a very wide range of chroma that you, can, that you can achieve. Some people work really well with like a Zorn palette, actually fairly limited chromatic capabilities. So of course, they're still it's working relatively within that. Yeah. Um, having a high chroma palette allows you to, you know, kind of push the range chromatically a little bit further.
0: Right, nice. Okay, and um, what do you paint on? What are your supports?
1: Um, uh, let's see, well, I sometimes for a larger painting, I'll have a Clausen's canvas. That's the thing with these things. I have no idea how to pronounce it. I've only read it, you know, on the label. <laughs> right. Um, but it's like this, you know, really nice Belgian linen thing. I'll use that for larger paintings, uh, you know, if it's like a commission or something like that, I'll often use that. Um, I've gone through various phases. I, I went through a phase where I, I didn't really want to work on the um, those canvas panels that you get from Blick, you know, those like, um, I started off doing those when I was painting air, And then I went through a period of time where I, was, I just, I don't know, I think I didn't like the idea of the cardboard backing and like, uh, I don't know. But then, you know, recently I came back to them and I said, yeah, these are really fine. They work they work fine and cheap. They don't take up all that much room. Um, I mean, I, you know, often I'll, I'll work on a painting on one of those things. And then uh, if it didn't work out or whatever, for whatever reason, I don't pursue it. I'll paint over it in white and then let it dry for a requisite amount of time and then work on it again. So I have some paintings that are, you know, maybe the fifth painting I've done on this one support <laughs> And the surface, you know, if you're thinking about supports, the surface gets kind of interesting at that point. It's like right. sort of toothy and like, like really craggy. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting to work on. You, I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's like, uh, I, I I get a kick out of that. I mean, it's harder to finish because you have so many layers. Um, and if you're trying to finish finely, then like you're just hitting all of these, all these flags all over the place, <laughs> impossible.
0: Yeah. yeah. No
1: Either I'll stretch canvas, or I'll have a canvas panel. Yeah.
0: So let's move on to you getting your work out there. How? What's your favorite method of doing that? Do you do galleries, or are you on social media, or are you? I know you have a new website. That much I know.
1: <laughs> um I I've tried various things, I guess. So I, I've done. I've had some things in galleries. Um, some things, you know, in coffee shops, stuff like that. Uh I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I kind of like, well, there was a big shift for me because I did a lot of uh, live music before the pandemic, and that's not really happening right now, uh, pretty much at all. Mm-hmm. And so there, it was a two-edged sword. I miss that a lot, and I can't wait until that comes back. Um, that's not true. I can wait, and I will wait. <laughs>
0: But
1: I am anticipating, with great hope, the day in which that will come back. Uh, I think, um, I, yeah, I had to, like, sort of think at the beginning of the pandemic, like, okay, so what what, what is this going to look like? You know, I wanted to make a new body of work. Um, and I realized that I, I had a certain idea of what I wanted my social media presence to look like. Mm-hmm. And I also realized that there was a big gap between the abilities that I had at that point to um, just, you know, even be photographing things the way I wanted to and to have the sort of content that I wanted generally. Um, so I just, I stopped posting on, I mean, I hadn't been posting that much on Instagram before, but I stopped posting on Instagram. I basically didn't post anything for the first four months of the pandemic. And I took down my website too. So I had a website and I thought, mm, this isn't really the way I wanted it to look, so I had like this, this, you know, I kind of went went darker, blank, dark. or whatever. Yeah. Everybody
0: said Dan, where'd you go?
1: <laughs> for like four months, and it was great. Oh man, it was such a good experience because um, I really, you know, how you know, everybody was talking about in like March and April, like you know, the experience of having to be isolated and like what that's like, and um, for for me, I mean, you know. I was very lucky that I was able to get outside and paint. I live in a place where I could do that. Mm. Uh, You know, I live in a very beautiful area where I can just walk and get to an awesome place to paint. Um, I think it was important for me to have that time kind of not just isolated socially as we all were, but also kind of like just not really showing my work for a little while. Mm -hmm. The painter Dennis Miller Bunker, who um, was an early American impressionist and had the, had a uh some of his work is in the gardener some of his work is in the uh, the mfa um he had a period of time where he just he was thinking about impressionism and kind of trying to reconcile that with some of some other painting ideas that he had and he just told people i'm not going to show anything to anybody like not even his friends he was like no you just you can't look (laughs) for like months and he uh you know and he, he and he came out of that with a, in a very different place. Wow. Um, so I think it was about a month ago I put my website uh, up again, and I started posting on Instagram again. Mm-hmm. I really like Instagram. I like you know it's a, compared to Facebook, it's a very f- visual um, social medium. Yeah. And Facebook is great because you you know honestly it'll just reach people who aren't on Instagram. Um, so I do some kind of cross posting between the two. Uh, longer term, I'd like to think about kind of how I can diversify between Facebook and Instagram and thinking about how to, um, you know, be creating different content for Facebook and for Instagram, uh, because they are different <laughs> media. And I think there's you know, Facebook kind of might lend itself more to uh, some sort of video things and some, um, some more written descriptions, more in-depth descriptions of things. Currently, uh, it's been nice to have the focus on Instagram uh, and kind of thinking about developing that. And uh, and it's nice now to have my website back up and to have a place to be showing my work, even though uh, you know it's harder. I know you know, you can go into galleries now again, which is great. Um, but, you know, still it's a different world right now for the time being, and um, it's nice to have a place online where. I, feel good about displaying my work.
0: What about um, your collector base? Do you keep a list of contacts? Do you do a newsletter? Do you try and reach out to people? Yeah, um,
1: I've had so many people tell me, like, God, I have your mailing list, right? it's you know, like the thing. I have no mailing list. Oh. Uh, that would probably be one of the next steps. Some people would have said it should have been the first step. Um, but uh yeah, I think I have, you know, I have clients that I've, you know, sold multiple paintings to that I stay in touch with and, yeah. um, and, you know, sometimes they're interested in seeing something else. Uh, I, I don't actually have, yeah, I don't have a, an email list right now, but that's a good thought. I mean, it's a good question. And I, I'll be, I'll be honest. I am, you know, I, so I graduated college a year ago. So I'm really kind of fresh out of student mode. And the difference between student mode and professional mode is vast. And at least it feels vast when you're in the middle of that transition. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of right at the beginning of figuring out a lot of these things. And I think the main thing for me recently has been, I just need to be showing my work somehow in a way format that I feel good about. So Instagram has been a way of doing that, and you know, having my website directing people from Instagram and Facebook to my website. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, I I'll be interested. You can you know get back to me in a few years, and I, I'm sure I'll have figured all of this out.
0: And, I know, right? I know.
1: But I think there's a there's a lot of trial and error at this.
0: So, so you went to UNH. Did I'm interested to know if their art program included marketing in any way, you know, setting yourself no. up.
1: It, it didn't really. Uh, actually, not at all. Yeah. It's very um, based on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like the faculty there are all practicing artists um, and they... The philosophy, which is kind of reiterated to me a bunch of times there, is that like focus on your art. Like, the art is the thing. Um, and you know if you say something like, oh, uh, like well, what, what about marketing? Like oh, uh, art. You know, <laughs> and, then, and I like I respect that. That's a that's a, a that's an approach. You know, that's yeah. that's their approach very decidedly. Um, I think it's important. Yeah, obviously that's important and it's important to focus on the art and it's important to not let the marketing take over. And it has at various points in my life uh, kind of eclipsed some of my studio practice in ways that I think is, you know, maybe not super healthy. What I did do though, when I was at college, I can't remember if this is, I think my junior year, might have been my senior year, I decided... I needed something. I needed some guidance on marketing. So I had taken this great personal finance class with uh, Professor Caitlin DeSoy, and she had been great teaching that class. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if she would be open to doing an independent study. And so I did a lot of wrangling with the department. It's like, you know, interdepartmental Studies like that. I'm not sure how often that happens. It seems, mm-hmm. it really seemed like it doesn't happen that often because it, there was a lot of back and forth uh, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But I did uh, an art business um, independent study and uh, to, uh, Professor DeSoy, I mean, yeah, I guess, I don't know, Caitlin. It's funny, I would call her Professor DeSoy in emails and then like Caitlin in person. So it's like, <laughs> what to call it? Uh, but yeah. I, Caitlin is a, you know, very experienced in various aspects of business, n- not specifically in art business. Mm-hmm. So she was great as being a kind of coach. Like I would come in and this is what I did this week. And then she'd be like, hmm, did you try this? And I'd be like, no. And then I'd go and try that thing this week. And then um, it, I, that, was, it, that was great. You know, it was the first time I really started selling paintings on my own. Nice. Um, and that... I think that was when I started at uh, being in series gallery for a little while it was was right about during that project. Okay. So that was helpful to get me kind of going in that way of thinking of the idea of like this is a career, this is a business, okay. And um, and not feeling bad about that, you know, not feeling like I'm, you know, being unartistic or something by thinking about that aspect of things.
0: Um, yeah, it can be a tricky balance for sure. I, I know some people take one day a week and they make it their, you know, marketing day and that's, they handle all their administration and, you know, some people do it. Oh, I'm going to take an hour a day and that this hour every day, it's going to be this, but.
1: Yeah, um, I've done both of those approaches and they can both work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you do commissions? Do you do commission work at all? I do occasionally,
1: Um i'll do i've done some portrait commissions um i have yeah occasionally had some requests for landscape commissions which um actually i have one pending right now that i'm not sure that i can do because i'm not sure i can go on the unh campus um because Mm -hmm. they're in-person classes right now um so uh you know they have various restrictions on you know who can be on campus but uh yeah, I have done some commissions, and you know, it's something I'll always kind of look at, uh, at on a case-by-case basis. Because sometimes there'll be commission where it's like, "Wow, that sounds amazing!" It also sounds like it's going to be a lot of time, and I'm currently working on another project or whatever. Um, I've realized that a lot of uh, a lot of what I enjoy about art is having a level of um, creative freedom in what i'm doing so I, I value that in the non-commission work that i do that i have you know pretty much total creative freedom to do whatever i want uh which is sometimes daunting if you could do whatever you want <laughs> and then on the flip side with commissions you, you you give away a little bit of that but then you also get this sort of conversation with the client that's uh that can be really fruitful you know you you get into the mind of the person who actually wants the painting, and um, that that can be a good a good process too. It's more collaborative, and I think I've learned a lot from my commission things that I've done. I, you know, done portrait commissions are actually really great when you can do them in per, in person. Yeah, sure. Because uh, I had one, you know, great portrait commission where I just uh, was able to have. Uh, conversation with the with the sitter for a while, and you know he's telling me all of his life stories, and um, and I, you know, by the end, like we've gotten to know each other really well, and like I, I feel like the conversation with him um, really kind of I, I think that kind of came into the painting in a way, like you know, in something who knows. It was. Yeah. I thought it did, but like the the, the con- it, Looking at the painting reminds me of all those conversations.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: And then you know we were in his in, in his house, so like his cat came up and like sat on the windowsill. Like, That's amazing. So and we put the cat in, and <laughs> and it I felt know. like more of a collaborative process. Um, right.
0: And how long did that take? Did you go back several days, or was it a, a one shot a prima?
1: Uh, it was <clears> a, a small painting. Um, that was, I think we did four or five sittings and they're mostly two or three hours. Um, but yeah, I spend, you know, anywhere from like 30 minutes on a painting, you know, some like really quick landscape paintings might be like very quick thing to the longest I've spent on a painting or a drawing probably, you know, several hundred hours, so. yeah. It's a range, but for commissions, it's like, well, there's a time limit. And sure. That's another thing that's good about them is, it, you know, you can't go on forever.
0: Yeah. So what do you do when the painting's not working? When I mean, you said you paint over some, but I mean, do you, how, how much time do you give it before you kind of throw in the, raise the white flag? That's a really good question. Mm. Uh,
1: I, th- I think that varies a lot for me. I mean, there's, there have been paintings where I just keep at it for a really long time and I'm not sure what the problem is and I just try to plow through and I'll do things I'll try to change the composition, I'll move things around and change some of the main lines of the composition and some of the proportions of you know distribution of the proportions of things and then you know sometimes I'll be like I have no idea what the problem is and I'll just you know throw it away and paint over it and that feels so good to be like it's done I can't I can never go back there's no undo button um, right. That that happens sometimes. If it's not working, I mean, as an alternative to just plowing through those various things, I'll usually have various paintings going at once. Um, so right now, what my daily schedule usually looks like is I will have three hours a day that I'm spending on um, like really short paintings. So usually going outside, painting when the sun's rising and the sun setting, or um, Just painting plein air, three hours a day working on a more medium-sized painting Uh, might take two weeks, maybe a little bit more, and then three hours working on a painting that is more like adventurous, like something huge. I think I mentioned earlier, um, possibly before we started recording, that uh, I'm working on a like 20 by 40 painting. Mm That I might not show it to anybody. It might be like you know, just it might not turn out as anything. But being able to switch back and forth between those is a way of if one of them isn't working. Um, sometimes it's like you know I've been working on too many like short paintings and I'm like I just need to I need to work on something for longer. So I switch back to the the two week painting. Yeah. Um, sometimes I, I will you know I think I might have mentioned this earlier too that I, uh, I'll stop working on an area and I'll I'll do drawing of it and yeah. that will sometimes help kind of work out problems. It might make me realize it wasn't a drawing problem, it was a color problem. Mm. There's so many ways that a painting can go wrong, you know? It's like (laughs) mind blowing when you think of all the ways. Like, like what is the problem you could have? It could be, the color could be wrong. There could have been some sort of, um, you know, idea of like the sculptural form of the thing just like being wrong, like if it's a figure, you know, you can tell when the arm is wrong, and it just doesn't make any sense. And that could be the way you're modeling the values, and like a, to create the three-dimensional sense of the form. There could be the way the lines in a two-dimensional way, how like those might be off. Um, you know, if it's color, it could be that you know the chroma is wrong, or the hue is wrong, or the value is wrong. Um, right. Or even paint quality can be weird. So it's hard to diagnose sometimes. A lot of painting is really just diagnosing those problems. Um, you ever so, use a mirror? A
0: lot of people use the mirror thing to kind of- Mirrors look
1: at great, especially if I'm working on an imaginative piece. I can't actually refer to back to nature. Right. Fresh out. So if I'm working on like, I was doing a, early in the pandemic, I was doing a series of portraits from memory and from imagination. And um, I would find, you know, I'd be like, oh yeah, this is going great. And then I would like look in the mirror and be just horrified, like what? that I do. It's terrible. It really does give you a fresh eye. Sometimes you don't want a fresh eye. I mean, you actually do, but like sometimes you don't know how bad the painting is going.
0: Right, and do you have any friends or colleagues that you can kind of bounce things off and send a quick picture and say, help! (laughs) Yes,
1: yes. Uh, I've, all through my life, I've had people like that um, that I can get advice from it's I think kind of prompted by the isolation early on in the pandemic I this has been the longest period of time I really haven't had that it's been just me for six months and um I think it's been good just as a change you know it's been good to I'm sure I'm I'm maybe I'm we're always less objective with ourselves than we are with somebody else but um but there's a value also of having that
0: yeah okay so Tell me about your signature on your paintings. Because I I, am the proud owner of two (laughs) very miniature Dan Fiola paintings. And I love the signature.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, Right. So I have a, and if you go to my website, it's it's at the top of the website. You can see the, it's probably the best version of that signature I ever did. So that's why I had to go up on the website. (laughs) Um, It's. Uh, yeah, I took calligraphy classes when I was a kid and um, I was kind of into that for a while um, and I'm not, I'm not a calligrapher in any stretch of the imagination but it always uh, it always struck me as cool how like calligraphists would their initials sometimes in these sort of combined ways and I know like J.R.R. Tolkien had somebody do his like his uh, initials where like it's the J and the R and the R combined and people do that sort of thing all the time. So, um, for me, I my first name is Daniel, and then there's like a, the first letter is the it's, well, they're all from the Irish Unseal alphabet. So, like, you know, the kind of early Irish uh, manuscripts, and actually in England too, they use this alphabet, but it's like a, it's a calligraphic way of writing, mm-hmm. and the D is a circle with like a little tail on it and that's how you know it's a D um, so there's the D and then my middle name is Mara which is an, uh, my mom's maiden name it's Irish uh, last name and so I wanted to include that because I my Irish heritage has always been a big part of my life we have a lot of uh, New York Irish relatives uh, down in the city and so there's the M and the M kind of becomes the F. And then the F is my last name, which is Faella. And I put a little um, apostrophe thing over the, or accent over the D. Because the D, this is getting like way too into the weeds here. Nobody really cares. But the D kind of looks like, uh, well, so the D has an uh, O shape in it. And the O before the M in the original spelling of the name Mara would be O Mara, And it would have the um, accent Fada, you know, over the O. Oh, okay. so there's a,
0: that explains it's,
1: it. Right, there's a whole lot of it, it, there's a reason for everything. Yeah. Nobody really needs to know all the reasons, but if well, anybody cares. Cool.
0: And, and how do you get it on a painting so small? <laughs> yeah,
1: that is a pain. It takes forever. So like <laughs> um, I'll use like the tiniest uh, uh, the tiniest sable brush that I have, which is you know, whatever, like three or something. And then I like get the paint on it and then kind of like there's a way of like using the sable brushes on the palette where you can get, get it flattened out like get it into the right shape by how you twist it around. So I kind of get it a little flattened out so that it has a, you know, it has a narrow yeah. dimension and a long dimension, which makes it possible to make those shapes, Wow! Um, which doesn't always come out. You
0: must seconds. have practiced.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have practiced.
0: I knew it had some Irish twist in there to those letters and I, I just had to know
1: yeah yeah, a little nod to that aspect of my life
0: all right well two more questions in closing one success what is success to you as an artist
1: i mean there's various things that art, various roles that art plays in my life it's my career and it's you know your career has various aspects it's something that you want to be fulfilling for you it's something that you want to be something that makes some sort of impact in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you um, want to be able to have it support itself and support you doing that thing. So I think success for me is probably, you know, being creatively fulfilled, which means various things. Like I want to be making the sorts of paintings that I want to make. And that has a lot of technical things that go along with it. There's a lot of ways in which I want paintings to express certain ideas that I have, or certain thoughts or emotions. And that feels like it's a long road of like kind of getting to know yourself better and getting to know your medium and how to express things in that medium. And you know, technique and expression are so tied together. They, in my mind, they're they're. Um, You know, the means of expressing something is so important because having all the tools to express what you want to express is, um, like knowing, you know, grammar and spelling and, and sentence structure and style in writing that doesn't make the writing great, but it does, um, give you the means to express what you want to express. And I, you know, painting is just a visual expression. It's analogous in so many ways to writing. So... There's a lot of development that I want to make, technically speaking, um, and that also ties into things that I want to be able to express in my paintings. And I I want I want it to be, um, you know, it is something that is supporting me right now. I'm really blessed to um, have that. And I want it to be something that can sustainably, you know, long-term support me. Um, you know, and again, I'm just right on the beginning end of that. And it's really exciting thinking about all the you know all the things that I can do with this as a career um but I think right having it be something that is fulfilling and supporting supporting me but I think um maybe more importantly than all those I I think the reason that I got into art originally is I really I care a lot about beautiful things. You know that Leonardo da Vinci book. When I opened that up, it was like, this is incredible. And like the experience that he, you know, who's been dead for whatever, died in the 1500s, so you know, good 500 years, that um, yeah, he he gave to me that experience. Like that that is priceless. Like I cannot put any sort of monetary value or anything on that. Um, and the idea that, like, you know, I I, I want to be able to give whatever whatever extent I'm able to give that experience to somebody else. You know, painting is like, I was thinking of this analogy the other day. You know how little kids before they can talk, they'll be like, they're toddlers and they're like running around with their parents, like holding on, holding onto their parents' hand, and their other hand, they're always pointing at things, like, oh look, that's like all they can do is like, look, there's a thing over there. And, <laughs> you know and then eventually they develop words and then and the world the world becomes less interesting to them because they're adults and they're distracted by stuff maybe like artists are going to perpetually in that state that's that state of being like look look at that thing it's cool <laughs> I love it. That's good. you know we we that's a role you know depending on how you think about art. the way i think about art for me that's 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 the role and um So I think, you know, being able to kind of draw people's attention to something, like, look at this thing, Mm I Look at this experience, that visual experience that I had, and, like, being able to share that with people. And, and yeah, I want that to be, that goes along with the making a living part of it. It's hand-in-hand with, like, if somebody values it and they they buy the painting. But I want people to really, you know, that's secondary. Like, the making a living is just so I can keep doing it and I can, you know, survive. The giving it to somebody who cares about it. Um, yeah, success is like it, all those things. I think.
0: Have you ever had a painting leave that that was very difficult to part with?
1: I actually just sold a painting that I I was like, yeah, you know, rarely it's rarely hard for me to part with a painting. Usually I'm like, thank goodness, it like, <laughs> sits there in the in the corner of the studio, and you keep on looking at it, and you're like, why isn't that? St- sold yet you know like you're looking at it it's like, what's wrong with that what's right something wrong with that painting like why didn't somebody buy that yet and then you know and then the painting eventually sells you know like a year after you made it sometimes and you're like well like somebody spoke to somebody right, right? and uh that's always a good feeling i'm always ready for it to go at that point i,
0: I just always think it has to meet the person it's meant for
1: <laughs> right yeah it's funny how that works but um i just did have a painting uh it's the most recent painting that I put up on my website. Um, and it sort of reflected a lot of, you know, my experiences of going out through the pandemic, like early morning <clears throat> thing in this particular spot in the Salt marshes. And I think I'm uh, gonna work on a few more paintings in that area too. Um, but you know, it because it was reminded me of all those mornings and like just the past six months or so. It was a little hard to let go of it. I, I miss it a little bit. It was just yeah. yesterday that I, I gave it to the collector. So yeah. well, I think I'm 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 over it now. But
0: <laughs> one it was
1: day a, like a ten 10 minutes of like,
0: oh
1: yeah. Give but it a hands of somebody who right. likes it.
0: True. Okay, give us your funniest plan air experience. Funniest or strangest or scariest? Most unusual. Oh gosh. I might have to think for a second.
1: I think possibly. Uh, I mean, it's not that interesting, but I uh, I did go painting once in by this waterfall. And I had this um, French easel, and you know I had to be like carrying the French easel with me. And this is before I had like gotten everything really portable. And I was wearing these dairy boots because I didn't want to get ticks on me. And so, and this waterfall also was in a place where like a lot of waterfalls in Northern New Hampshire are like documented as places where tourists go. This is not documented by any, like this is off off the road, like off the map. Nobody, nobody really knows about it except people who live right there. Okay. Um, and, I had to, you know, clamber down all these rocks and these dairy boots carrying all my stuff. And you know, there's certain places where like there's a sheer drop off and I had to like, you know, lean over and like drop my stuff down and then like jump down and then the rocks get wet. And then like, by the time you get down there, it's like you're totally exhausted. <laughs> and then we re- by this like amazing vista of waterfall in front of you. So that was, that was probably in retrospect, not something I would do again. I think um, I would probably come a little bit better prepared and not risk my life quite as much as I did. Um, But I remember thinking that I'm just really glad that my mom does not know that I'm here because my mom is a dear soul and a, of course, as you know, all parents do, concerned about (laughs) their child's safety. And if she ever hears this, um actually she knows about this experience now and she still you know well yeah i mean i'm sure but
0: well did you get a painting out of it and did it survive the trip out
1: it did yeah i got a painting out of that um it's funny i think it's owned by the university i'm not (laughs) sure if i can sell it um because i uh it was during that summer that i was doing that project and there's some sort of odd you know copyright like fine print thing right uh-huh. he actually owns all those paintings right now. <laughs> they, they told me like, oh yeah, just fill out this paperwork and then we'll sign it over Read to you. Read the
0: fine out. print.
1: <laughs> so I, maybe I'll get around to signing that at some point or, or I'll just send them all the pictures. Like they can keep
0: them. All you know? right, there you go. So um, again, your website is Daniel Fiala, and that's f-a-i-e-l-l-a.com. Yes. And your Instagram, is that the same?
1: Uh, it's Daniel Fiala painting. So painting, okay. At whatever Daniel
0: Fiella. People can follow you on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do love your website and those little miniature paintings. I have them over in my kitchen sink, and they're just delightful. I just love them. Right.
1: Very, very right. Nice. All the sizes, right? Those little sizes are. Yeah,
0: amazing. and they came so nicely wrapped in the handwritten note. I was like, oh, I took a picture and put it on Facebook. Did <laughs> right. that?
1: I I was thinking about the packing. as I wanted to as much as possible have. I'm working towards zero tape and zero plastic. Yeah, did um, a little bit of tape on the on the box outside. but I realized I didn't have to do that. I could have glued it. <laughs> I think the next step. The next step is wax seals. What do you wow. What do you think? There you I'm go. Put a wax seal on. Yes. The, uh, the paper packaging.
0: Yeah, and and um, where do you get your frames? Think, speaking of zero waste, because I know Picture Frames does that. Picture Frames, right? Um, um. So actually. For a while, I was
1: making my own frames at the BFA show oh. at UNH. I had to. I had all these weird sizes, and I couldn't actually get frames for those sizes unless I paid a ton of money to get them. Right. Nice. So I learned how to use a table saw. It was a really harrowing experience. That was the other thing that I'm glad my mother didn't know about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, yeah, I had to use a table saw to figure out, it, you know, cause it was all pretty safe, though. Um, but since then, I decided after that experience, I was like, I am never making a frame again. This is like so much work. I spent a whole week just making the frames. Uh, uh, so now I get them. Jerry's Arama has, um, a, I think they're called ambiance frames. So the ones that you have are ambiance frames from, from Jerry's. And I've switched over to using those. Actually, there's a Blick type of frame that I like a little bit better because just the finish I like a little bit better. Um, but these are great because they have like virtually any size, standard size you can think of. So it's really hard to find like a frame for a three by six painting. Yeah. You know, it's not like a super, super common size, but they got them and, um, but they look nice, you know? It's like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good option. It's currently what I'm doing.
0: Good. All right, any last words of advice for our fellow painters on their journey? Hmm. Yeah. Well, especially under these odd circumstances, you know, <laughs> you yeah, with the time very wisely. I like, I like what you're doing.
1: Thanks. I feel like it'd be different advice, you know, maybe a year or two from now when things right. are different. Um, I would say generally, and this is just coming from, you know, again, somebody who I still feel like I'm very much in the nascent phases of my career uh, so take it for what it's worth, which is, you know, whatever that's worth. I think for me, I found it's super important for me to study nature as much as possible um, and to study great paintings uh, as much as possible, too. So in person as much as you can you can't really do that right now um studying nature is is easy right now like if you again if you're blessed enough to live in a place where you can get outside um which i am uh so just as much as possible being out like outside and really like humbly trying to learn how to like paint better while you're looking at um the visual the amazingness that is the visual world um Mm -hmm. That's super important for me. But also, you know, before the pandemic, I was going down to the MFA um, once or twice a week. And uh, if you live in the Northeast, which we're talking about New England, we are so lucky to have the collections that we have in this area. I mean, there's vast swaths of the world where, you know, you are you have to take a plane to get to, you know, the galleries of the quality that we can just drive to. Yeah. Um, so we have the Metropolitan in New York, really not that far away. You know, um, I went there in January, right before the pandemic. Being able to, well, I'm in the MFA and the Gardner and then the Courier in New Hampshire um, mm-hmm. collection. The Portland Museum of Art, wonderful collection. Um, you know, and again, they're much smaller scale, but studying those works in person, just in, even not just studying them, just enjoying them, you get a lot of that kind of biosmosis level filter through. I'd say that's, you know, those are both really important to me. Um, and anyway, right, like I'll always, in a museum, I'll always leave the museum, like, psyched to go painting. Right. Um, <laughs> saw something in some, you know, Degas painting or some Monet painting or whatever, Jerome, um, and I'll think, man, I'm going to like, I think I get like a little something of what he was talking about. And then you go out and then you, you know, go, go back to nature and you start painting that. And, and then, you know, after a while, you're like, I need to go look at that painting again or look at a different painting. So it's a cycle. Um, it should be mostly studying nature, I think, but studying art is really super helpful.
0: Very good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And we will definitely be uh, watching your career continue to develop. Thank yeah, you. Very
1: exciting. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's a great podcast. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of great art in New England and oh you know, great collections and a lot of great artists. So it's great to be exploring that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll see you down in the next field.
1: <laughs> okay. I'll be out there somewhere.
0: You'll be out there. you
1: will be right. walking your dog and you'll run into me.
0: That's great. Right. Take care, Dan.
1: All
0: right. Thanks. Bye now. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artists under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. You got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.